0: For the next few weeks, we shall focus upon Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and this morning we shall address verses 26 through 31, and our message is entitled, Jesus is his name. Jesus is his name. It has been said the birth of Christ is in danger of being relegated to an afterthought, not only by the world, but sadly by the church. Professing believers are no longer moved by the magnitude of the almighty God becoming a man. Sadly, professing believers no longer approach the birth of Christ with awe and astonishment. Astronaut astronaut James Irwin once said, there's something more important than man walking on the moon, and that is God walking on the earth. In the past few years, the church has begun to use the nativity scene as a theological equivalence to public art. The nativity scene has become merely a type of public art that offers awareness to relevant issues of the day. Some of you may have recently seen in the news or in the newspaper a church, Claremont United Methodist Church, which is located in the eastern suburb of Los Angeles, and it depicted Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in cages. And similar nativity scenes have been erected in the past in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Denham, Massachusetts, and other places. And this is just something now on the news, but when I began to do research, I'm finding out that this has been happening for years. Hmm. Sadly, these churches have used a nativity scene to identify Jesus and his family as refugees and immigrants. Their narrative forgets that Mary and Joseph were traveling to keep the law and register for the census. Then they bring in, and their arguments, they say, well, when Herod decreed his decree, they fled to Egypt, so therefore they were refugees. But then I'm trying to remember, what does Herod have to do with the nativity scene? Because Herod was two years later. And these are church pastors and leaders who are saying this is good. That they are now telling us a nativity scene is not about Jesus Christ and the Savior coming to the world, but it's to be used as a time to talk about refugees and immigrants. But whenever we begin to add to the nativity scene, I'm not surprised where we are. Because I heard church leaders say, well, the three kings are part of the nativity scene, and they're not. So you go around how many churches today, you'll see nativity scenes, and you'll see three kings in there. And we're supposed to be the armor bearers of God's word. And we're just adding and subtract whatever we want. Because it's nice to include the three kings. Why? Because they brought gifts. So now it justifies our reasoning for giving gifts on Christmas. So the church is leading people astray. So when I began to hear this and see this, I said, man, we got to get back to the basics. So for the next two weeks, if you're bored, I don't care. <laughs> if you say you've heard this before, Good. Sometimes we need to be reminded, but we're going to break down what's in the text and not our ideals and our opinions because the birth of Christ only deals with Jesus. Hmm. So we're going to look at two things, the particulars and the pronouncement, the particulars. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. In the earlier verses of Luke chapter 1, God had already sent the angel Gabriel to Zacharias and Gabriel informed Zacharias that his wife Elizabeth would bear him a son whose name would be John. Although Zacharias and Elizabeth were both old, although Elizabeth was barren, God would open her womb, and they would be blessed to have a son named John. And he would later become John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Six months later, God pays another visit. God sends his angel Gabriel again to the earth. Gabriel's assignment was to share the good news of the place and the people who would be chosen by God to play a role in the marvelous birth of the Son of God, a child named Jesus Christ. But once again, the focus point of it was not Mary, was not Joseph, was not the descendants of David. The focus was the child named Jesus Christ. God had an appointed, the time, and the place. It was all part of his glorious plan. I like the way the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 4.4, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that they might be adopted as sons and daughters. Amen, 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 amen. Because... When you read that verse and understand that verse, that's one of those shouting verses because he's saying God sent his son Jesus Christ at the fullness of time, the appointed time. And when he came, he had one mission and that one mission was to save and to redeem and to adopt you and I into the family of God. And we are now in our churches today when we hear that we were adopted into the family of God, we are not even excited about that. We're not even in all of that. Because we need whistles and blowing and things and twinkle things to make us excited. And God says, keep it simple. You need to understand how much grace was shown for you to be adopted into his family. It wasn't because you were born a good little person. It wasn't because you were brought up in the church. He adopted you into his family. The angel Gabriel was, was to make a life-changing announcement to share to the world the good news that the Savior, the Deliverer, the Son of God was on his way. We get excited when we hear somebody, they're pregnant, and say, what, what month are you? You know, unless you'd have made a mistake and you ask somebody what month they are and they say, I'm not pregnant. Then you're in a little trouble. <laughs> but most of the time we start getting excited. You start thinking about, oh, well, is it going to be a boy, it's going to be a girl, well, we're going to do this, we've got to do this, so all the preparation. So now Jesus is being told of even before he's conceived. Because they're hearing the good news that he's going to be conceived. God sent Gabriel to an appointed place, a city called Nazareth in the District of Galilee. Nazareth was a surprising choice because it was filled with corruption and immorality. No one but God would have chosen a place like Nazareth. Because if we were choosing a place, we said, if God's going to come, he's going to come to the best place in Chicago or the best place in the United States. He ain't going to no slum. He ain't going to the hood. But God knew exactly where he wanted his child to be from. Wasn't a mistake. And just imagine, you are born exactly in the family that God wanted you to be in. So you can wish all you want that you had a different family. You got the family that God wanted you to have. Amen. So if you don't like them, you got an argument with God. <laughs> Appointed people. The Son of God will be born to a virgin, not a barren woman like Elizabeth. Elizabeth had had sexual intercourse with her husband, but was unable to conceive. But praise the Lord, the Son of God would be born to a virgin, a female that was sexually pure, a female that had never been with a man. Mary's status of being a virgin is so important that she is mentioned as a virgin two times before you even know her name. See, what we do, once again, is focus on the name Mary. God is telling you, no, the focus in these verses is not her name. The focus is her virgin status. But once again, we, Mary, 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 and God is saying, I said virgin twice. Anytime God repeats himself, he's not that he forgot what he said. Whenever he repeats himself, he's putting emphasis on what he's saying and saying, this is what is important. So don't be getting on to the Mary name and Joseph name. Get on the fact that she was a virgin because he's going to explain to you why that was important. The word virgin was not merely speaking of a young woman. You got some in the church now, not outside the church, inside the church, who's very intellectual and very smart. Well, it doesn't actually mean that she wasn't with a man before. It just means she was a young woman. I, I pray and hope that I never get that smart that I'm stupid. Because there is significance in the fact that she was sexually pure. This was fulfillment of God's promise, God's prophecy, found all the way back in Genesis 3. He says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God had promised that he would send the Savior into the world through the seed of a woman without the aid of a human male. Because all humans are sinners by birth. Amen, amen, amen. And that sinfulness is passed through the seed of the man. Mm. Roman puts it this way, 512. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. See, we are sinners by birth, and we are sinners by practice. But every person born of a woman is in need of a Savior. And that would include who? Mary. We'll get back to her in a minute. God, by sending Jesus into this world through the womb of a virgin, God was able to give his son a human body and a human nature without his son inheriting a fallen nature as well. Because he did not receive the seed of a man, he received the seed of a woman. And the sin nature is in the seed of a man. So it wasn't that she was just a young girl. It was a fact that she did not give birth to Jesus through the seed of a man because if he had been born with the seed of a man, Jesus would have needed a savior himself. So how in the world could anybody in the church be teaching that she was merely a young lady? Hmm. This enabled Jesus to be born without sin, live without sin, and die without sin. It has been said, without a virgin birth, we do not have a Savior. So when we look at the conception of Jesus Christ, that should put us in awe. He's already shown I can open up a womb that is old. Now he's telling you I can open up a womb, not with a man, but with myself. Mm. And it's interesting how he describes the other particular in here. Joseph. No long talk. All it says is that Joseph was a descendant of David. Why is that important? Because anyone who was a descendant of David literally was in the line of being a king. So God is saying, I'm giving you all the particulars to show you why my son, Jesus Christ, is the Savior and the Messiah. He meets all the requirements. He has no sin. He's of the lineage of David. And the parents, Mary and Joseph, they just mentioned, but the focus is me. Hmm. So now let's look at this pronouncement. And coming in, he said to her, this is Gabriel speaking, Greetings, favorite one. The Lord is with you. Gabriel speaks to Mary, greeting, favorite one, the Lord is with you. Now, we don't know from the text, but when we saw Zacharias earlier in chapter 1, when he was visited by Gabriel, there was some kind of way that Zacharias knew this was no ordinary man. So when he came, he may have came in his angelic form. He may have came with all of his glory. So when he comes and he greets, he begins to try to put Mary at ease. Now, some of us say we talk to angels, we see angels. It wasn't really popped up in your life, and it was in all their glory. We'll see how you react then. We know how some of us are with dead people in the cemetery running and stuff. So now you're going to see an angel come in all their glory, and you're just going to sit and have a conversation with him. <laughs> there are those who teach favored one, highly favored, means God will make the believer's life easier and more prosperous. But is this what is meant by God here in Luke 1? So once again, inside the church, these are our professing believers. They are teaching that when he says favored one, highly favored, that means her life is going to be easier and she's going to prosper. Well, anyone who interpret this verse and come to that conclusion, did they not know what was going to be facing Mary when she had this child? She's going to have some of our descendants saying we don't want to hear this stuff about she got pregnant by the Spirit. We know her and Joseph been busy. That's an illegitimate child. So that's going to be their definition of her life is going to be easier? Did they prosper financially? Because when we look at the life of Jesus and Mary and Joseph, they were not rich people. So now when I'm hearing these people interpret verses, I'm saying, where are they getting these interpretations from? They cannot be coming from God. So if they ain't coming from God, they either coming from hell or they coming from their flesh. That's the only two options. So now I'll get emails and calls about that and I'll say, don't bother me. <laughs> phone number is Joseph's phone number, not my phone number. <laughs> Favor. Hebrew, kahis, loving kindness, his covenant of faithfulness to his promises. That's what this concept of favor means. In essence, God is saying and through the angel, grace, you are highly graced. Oh. You have graciously been chosen by God to be used by God. Mm. You are now going to be a grateful servant of God because he has decided to choose you to be the instrument, to be the servant, to bring glory to him. Now we sit there and say, oh man, isn't that nice that she was done this? But guess what? Let's go back through the scriptures. In Ephesians 1:6, it says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Somebody's going to get that. They're going to catch it in a minute. That means that you are highly favored. You are highly favored because God has chosen us, once again, to be adopted into his family of God. Not because of our goodness, not because of our worth, but because of his grace. He said, I chose you because I got something for you to do for me. The same thing he told Mary is the same thing he told each and every one of us. And we run around the, oh, we just like Mary. Really? How many of us know how graced we've been by God? Because some of us are foolishly taking that first interpretation. I don't think I'm too graced because I ain't got no prosperity in my life. My life ain't been easy. It's been rough. It's been hard. You don't know how hard it's been. I don't have to face all these problems. I don't have to face all these enemies. I don't have to face all these boogeyman. Really? Do you not know there's no boogeyman in your life that God has not already graced you? So I'm supposed to be worried about a boogeyman? Let's be clear. Favorite one does not mean that Mary was so full of grace that she would forever be able to become, bestow grace on others. I get a whole bunch of emails on that one. Because you got some in some denominations, when they start praying, they always talk about mother, Mary, mother of God. Well, she ain't Mary, mother of God. That's the first mistake. Then they start talking about how she's gonna give grace to other people. She ain't giving grace to nobody. She received grace. Yes. But if somebody would just read the Bible and not listen to stories. She is favored just like we are favored because the Lord is with us. He has chosen us to be his. He has chosen us to use us for his glory. See, the King James read, I believe, blessed are you among women. And some of the other manuscripts now, that phrase not even in the in the Bible. But even if that phrase was in the Bible, you still got to be able to interpret it. So it says, blessed are you among women. It does not say blessed are you above women. How do we read and do not read what's written? So how can anybody come out of this? Well, Mary is above all women. And it it does not say that. But that's how you end up with Jesus and baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph in a cage. People say, well, Pastor, you, you're just so particular. You always stick on words. I stick on words because words are used for a reason. Amen. And whenever you begin to go away from them, you're going to end up in a terrible, terrible place. Amen. The word blesses is exactly that same word used to describe the blessedness of all of God's elect. Well, what was Mary's response? But well, she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Now, when we look at this, we got to remember, more than likely Mary and Joseph were very young. Mary could have been as young as 13 or 14 years old. So, you know when you look at the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, It wasn't somebody becoming mature in their walk with the Lord when they was 25, 30, or 40. If a person accepted the Lord, God expects them to begin to grow at the age that they accept. So if you're 8 years old, guess what? Now you're held accountable to this Bible. Don't want to hear about, well, you're only 8, you're only 9, you're only 10. No, you accepted the Lord and God has chosen you to be part of his family. He said, there's work for you to do right now. Might not be the same work I'm doing, but there's work for you to do right now. And you are now held to this scripture. You're not held to this scripture if you get baptized and say, well, now nah, I'm serious about the Lord. No, you were serious about the Lord the moment you accepted him. So that nonsense about, oh, I'm going to get baptized when I'm more ready to commit to him. No, you was ready to commit with him when you said, I accept you. He ain't going to get no leeway with, messing with me with that. When we went to Ruby, there were in the room, always, long gaps in between. So I want to be right. What? So you're, you're not serious when you accepted them. That's a sad state. Are you going to grow? Yes. Are you going to learn more about them? Yes. Are you going to understand what are some of your privileges and responsibilities? Yes. But you got to be serious when you accept the Lord. Because only God can open your eyes and touch your heart so that you can accept him. Amen, amen, amen. 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 Mary is wondering, why is this greeting given to me? Yes, she was a believer in God. But why would Gabriel be speaking to her like this? She probably did not see herself as one highly favored. She was probably fearful of the meaning of this salutation. Well, what was Gabriel's response? The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Isn't that the wonderful thing about communication? Somebody talks and you respond to what they said. (laughs) Gabriel didn't just pop up out of the blue and say, don't be afraid. He made that statement after she said she was perplexed and he can understand that she's afraid and fearful. So he responds by giving words of comfort. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful when people talk and you listen and you respond? But see, so many of us, when we talk, we already know what we want to say. We're not listening to what the other person says because we want to say what we want to say. And we're not actually communicating. We're just throwing words at each other. And some of us are fearful, as we said before, if I don't get mine in, I won't get it in. Gabriel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. There's no need to be afraid, but rejoice. For you have found favor with God. He has included you in his plans. He has decided to show you grace. When God calls you and speaks to you and says he has need of you, do you quickly rejoice? I told us, some of us, when we go back to um, Good Friday and we see when Jesus sent his disciples in there and he went and got the colt and the donkey and he said the master has need of them and they just gave the colt and the donkey to the disciples. How many of us, if that was us, and somebody came and said, God said he has need of this, how many of us would give it? We would start going through all our rationalization. He ain't talked to me. How do I know you're you, you talking from God? This is my donkey. And some of us would have been spiritual enough to say, okay, you, you need a donkey in a coat? I got one over here that I've been using for I don't know how long. He's kind of limping and he's kind of missing one eye and one ear. But here you go. You can have my leftover." God says there's a food giveaway. There's a clothes giveaway. And they say, I really believe that church or that ministry is really in need. And I really got, thank God is speaking to me. Do you go to your closet and find the finest thing you got in there? Or do you go look in the closet and find something that you ain't, can't fit in? You done lied to yourself for 10 years. You're going to be able to fit in in another day. So now you give it to them. And now you think you done something. And God saying, that is exactly not what I asked you. Like Mary, we are sometimes fearful. We are afraid of God's providence. We are fearful of how God will take care of us. We are fearful of how God will use us and control us. We are fearful of his divine direction. We all right with his providence if his providence agrees with our providence. But when his providence is different than ours, we don't rejoice, we don't start singing how great and awesome a God you are. We start complaining. So let's break this big word down because in our churches, once again, we don't normally hear the word providence words that were foundation to our belief we've gotten to the point where we don't even use them some of us remember back in the day how many churches were called Providence why do you think they were called Providence I went to a church when I was a little named Providence because it was a biblical teaching now you ain't going to hear too many new churches called Providence they're going to be called the shelter, the bell the sanctuary, this or that What does the word providence mean? Glad you asked. God's providence, has been said, is the hand of God in the glove of history. Mm. It is the work of God whereby he integrates and blends events in the universe in order to fulfill his original design or plan for which it was created. God's providence is God sitting behind the steering wheel of time. Mm. God's providence refers to God's governance of all events so as to direct them towards an end that brings him glory. God's providence is God taking what you and I would call luck, chance, happenstance, and stitching them into achieving his plan. That's his providence. Mm -hmm. And we sometimes foolishly don't even know it exists. We foolishly think we the captain of our own vessel. Tell my others, I always say, when we were 17, 18, 19 years old, whenever you got grown enough you thought to lead, when you left, I'm in charge now. I'm the big dog. I'm the king of this castle. And God is just, is just laughing. I told my kids, I said, you can you can leave. Whenever you leave, there's always gonna be somebody telling you what to do. Right now it's me telling you what to do, and I'm trying to line what I'm telling you to do with scripture. But guess what? When you leave, that ain't your house to do whatever you want to do in it. How many of us actually knew that once we left our parents' house and we got our first apartment or our first house, that God the Father was still in charge? Or how many of us thought, because I signed the lease and because I paid the rent, I can do whatever I want in this place? And God's providence is saying, I'm going to take your sinful events, (laughs) your sinful attitudes, your sinful thoughts, and I'm going to steer it exactly where I want to eventually get. See, sometimes that God's providence is that thing that we don't like to think of, but it's like that puppet master that has you on a string. We don't like that picture. So since we didn't like it, we took it out of the church. Because I ain't on nobody's string. I make my own mind. I make my own decision. Now I said, go ahead. Thank you. you making your own decision. He said, you're going to eventually do what I want you to do. And even in your mess, I'm still going to find a way to bring glory out of it. And it ain't going to be glory for you. It's going to be glory for me. Because this might be mind-boggling to some of us. God is not sitting up in glory looking for ways to make you glorious. <laughs> so if, if that's what you're thinking, that God's is there saying, I'm just looking for a way to make Delbert look glorious. No, he's looking for a way that he gets the glory, that he gets the glory and the honor, not me. See, we all have plans, and sometimes we are fearful that God and his providence will change those plans. Hmm. Now, some of us can't strategically plan well, but we still have plans. We might call them dreams. We might call them whatever word you want to use, but we have plans and if you're honest has God ever interrupted one of your plans? and when he did did you sing praises to him? (laughs) so my plan was for for my mom and dad to see me do this or do that but God's plan was my mom's not going to see me do things Because she has already been now taken to be with the Lord. That wasn't my plan. My plan was for her to be 80, 90 years old. We doing stuff together. She might see Monty and Bryce grow up. Those are a whole bunch of plans I had. But when God comes in and he intervenes and he interrupts it, that's where we always got to check our hearts. Because our first response normally is, how dare did you do that, God? How dare did you interrupt my plans. Then we'll try to justify them. They were good plans. They were good plans. Then we'll even lie to ourselves some more. And the plans was going to be done for your glory. (laughs) Huh. So look at these last words. And behold, you will conceive in your womb And bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now you got to remember, the days of this time, a, a Jewish young lady was always thinking about a wedding day. They were thinking about, hey, I might give birth to the Messiah. Because, see, their concept of Messiah is different than our concept of Messiah. The Messiah for the Jews in the Old Testament was, This is going to be a person that comes to this earth and reigns and rules. So all these kids said, we know there's going to be a Messiah because the scripture tells us they're going to be the Messiah. And I might be fortunate to be the mother of the Messiah. So most Jewish girls had this thought in their heads. They didn't understand that it meant a savior. It didn't mean it was going to be sinless. They didn't know it was going to be this way that the child was going to be conceived. But she probably had some of these thoughts in her head. And those plans are being destroyed. Now she is being told she would conceive in her womb a child although she was a virgin. So even some of us who hate the most spiritual or the sharpest ones in the box, we know that some male seeds got to be somewhere in the picture for you to conceive a child. I don't care if you come up with intravenous or whatever you might come up with it's still going to require a seed of a man. So now she's hearing this. She's perplexed because she was perplexed enough just with Gabriel talking to her. Now he starts telling her, you're going to conceive a child. You're a virgin. You're not even married, even though you're betrothed, you're not married yet. And now what most mothers wanted to do, like probably still today, I guess, start thinking about what name they're going to name got little books out there. Top 100 book names in 2018. Then some of us say, I don't want to use one of those 100. I want my child to be unique. <laughs> so now that's been taken from her. So just imagine, you ain't married and it ain't like 2019. You're running around and it's no big deal. You ain't married. Back then, she knew I could be stoned to death. Wasn't like the progressive world we live in now where it's no big deal. Back then it was a big deal. So now she's got all these things going on. She's now told that the son's name is going to be Jesus. And now she's still hearing from this angel, but you found favor with God. So wouldn't you be like her and saying, how in the world have I found favor? You found favor because you're going to give birth To the Messiah. If God said he was going to use you to do something. But with it came a whole bunch of negative stuff with it. How many times would he have to keep telling you you found favor. Before you'd be willing to do what he asked you to do. And this young lady is 13 or 14. Hmm. Mary is told. God will allow things to happen in our lives that are hard to bear and hard to understand. Yet the Lord sends them our way so that we might grow in him, so that we may rejoice in his providence. Some of us, before this year comes to an end, God's going to allow something to come into your life that you say makes no sense, for it coming into your life. We can try to say, well, Satan, it did in that. No, nothing is done in our lives unless God allows it. Amen. So don't give more credit to Satan and don't. it feels good time one time with the flesh. No, Satan did this or Satan did that. No, God allowed anything to happen in your life and he allowed it for his glory. So now, when you look back at 2019, has there been something that God has allowed in your life or caused in your life that you are still upset with God for it happening? And some of us will quickly say, Nope, nope, nothing. Me and God are good. Dig deeper because there can be things that happen you sit there and you say well I'm being faithful almost like that elder son I'm being faithful I'm doing what you're telling me to do but I'm not receiving what I thought I would receive I'm not where I thought I would be and God says you're exactly where I want you to be and then when I hear that he says you're exactly where I want me to be now I'm wrestling because I'm saying how in the world could he want me to be here then our feelings he get into and he say, how could he want me to be here and I'm not happy? And God says that's the key. You should always be happy where I got you. All right. yeah. And those are those times where we say, ouch. Those are those times where we say, thank you, God, for revealing to me thank you for showing me my heart. So she's told his name would be Jesus. Now we know in scriptures that that's where the old preacher would start preaching in a couple of candles. I'll be that old preacher. And that's where they would just run down the runway. And they said, what's the importance about that name? She hears the name Jesus and Jesus was not an uncommon name. It wasn't like some of us who think we got to come up with a name to make the person. The name doesn't make the person. That name, as we see in Acts chapter 4, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. She doesn't know this yet. But Paul is going to write these scriptures that tells us there is something special about the name of Jesus Christ. There is nobody else in heaven, under the ground, nowhere that a name can open doors like Jesus can. And Mary, you're about to be used by God to give birth to this child named Jesus. But Paul said, I'm, I'm, I'm not done with Romans, He said, I'm going to travel to Philippians 2. And he says, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of the Father teaching you the same thing over Mary didn't give him the name God gave him the name Mm. and why was he given the name Jesus so that glory could come to him everything we do is to bring glory to him not your mama not your daddy not your wife not your husband not your kids it goes to him and anytime we steal that, we have done an injustice to God. Anytime, and that's how we end up where we are now as a church, because we begin to insert ourselves places we do not belong. I tell people all the time they want to argue with you. I say, I'm not arguing with you. I'm not telling you December 25th is the day he was born, because I ain't celebrating December 25th. I'm celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. So you can argue all you want about it. It was in the summertime. It was in the spring. It was in the shepherd. It was outside. I ain't celebrating the 25th anyway. I'm celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ was born. Keep the focus where it needs to be. Because when we take it off, we get into lands that we don't need to be in. As we can see, it is going to be imperative that the church knows the story of his birth. So we might have said speeches when we were little kids. That was cute. You didn't know what you was talking about. But now as an adult, we ought to be able to tell everybody the story of the birth of Christ. And why it's so important. Yes. Yes. So when old Pastor Dean saying, I'm not using the word Christian. Oh, he thinks he's more spiritual than me. He all that. I'm stupid enough to know. If I start getting distracted by a whole bunch of stuff, I'm going to lose focus. Now, you might be able to multitask, triple task, whatever you want. I know the majority of you can't triple task, double task, or one task. But keep fooling yourself. It's just a part. It's everything. And we got to tell them why that name is so important. Because there's no other way to the Father except by that name. Jesus is his name. And I love him. I love him. I love him. Because he chose me. To be in his family. Let's pray. Father we thank you Lord. For just beginning to allow us to. Delve into this passage of scripture. And. To remind us. To encourage us. In some cases to convict us. Where we have the audacity to say that. Your birth is not enough that we need to surround it with other things in order for us to celebrate, in order for us to rejoice. Forgive us as a church that we have sister churches that have decided that they're gonna use a nativity to promote their concept of immigration and refugee laws of the land. Not understanding that they're mixing so many different things and they're missing the focus that it's not about where he went. It's not even about who his parents were. It's about who he is. That he is God in the flesh. Yes. And he was sent here by you to save us from death. And we thank you, Lord, for the grace that you showed us to choose us to be a part of your family. We thank you that you've adopted us as your sons and daughters so that now we can proclaim to this lost world and sadly, even to our professing brothers and sisters in Christ, it's all about you, God, your providence, your sovereignty, that you are the only one worthy of worship you are the only one that is worthy of our praise because you told us every good and perfect gift comes from above so lord we thank you we praise you and we say these things in the name of your son jesus christ amen